You know, I recently had a conversation with someone in our church uh, who told me that she had been troubled lately by the negative things that are being said about Christians on her social media platform. Um, she said that it was not very good and that her blunt assessment of things was that Christians were just downright hated and that people didn't want to have anything to do with them, nor anything to do with Jesus or the church. Now, I realize this is only one person's observation, but there might be some truth to what she's saying. Now, I'm not going to get into all the reasons why she said that people hate Christians, except to say that the hate appears to be intensifying these days. It seems to be more widespread than maybe we would have ever imagined. You know, shortly after this conversation, I had a, another conversation with two moms in our church. They, have, they both have teenagers, and I don't, I'm not even sure that they know each other because these are two separate conversations. And they basically told me that they can't believe the amount of ungodly messages that, are, that their children are being bombarded with on a daily basis from their peers on social media. And then more than a dozen years ago, um, I went to a conference and heard a pastor uh, say that at the rate of evangelism, that would be the rate of evangelism back then among Gen Xers. Gen Xers was the generation of uh, folks at the time, the young people at the time, that at the rate of evangelism back then, 12 years ago, among Gen Xers, that only 4% of them would be Bible-believing Christians when they became adults. Now, it's pretty shocking statistics. But if that was true, imagine... Uh, what those statistics would be today among Gen Zers, among our Gen Z generation, our current crop of children, what the, the percentage of Christians would be once they become adults. I would imagine, if I were to guess, um, I would say that it probably would be in the 1% to 2% range, which means effectively that when our little children grow up and turn 25, they will live and raise their own children in a godless America. That's essentially what we're looking at today. Uh, because there, with each passing generation, there are fewer and fewer Christ followers. Now, I don't need to tell you that that's exactly the kind of America that a lot of people want. And when you throw into the mix everything that is going on today in our world, the pandemic... Uh, the sicknesses, the deaths, the lockdown, the division, the hate, and the violence. It's easy to understand why people today are discouraged and why they are in despair and why they are feeling anxious and fearful and even depressed. It's understandable. Now, as a pastor, I have a different perspective. You know, to me, it is apparent what's going on today, and that is that we are at war. We are at war. We are in a fight against the spiritual forces of, of evil and of darkness. And Satan and his minions are pulling out all the stops to take you and your children and your grandchildren and the church and really the entire world down with him by misleading, by deceiving, by spreading lies, by glamorizing sin, by maligning the name of Jesus, 
by tempting us, by eroding our witness, by branding Christians as hypocrites and bigots and hate mongers, as intolerant, by stealing your joy, by getting you to question God, by getting you to doubt your salvation, by getting you to not believe in the word of God, by dividing the church, by attacking marriages, by stoking fear, by inflaming hate, by blinding the minds of unbelievers, and by even attacking and killing Christians in certain parts of the world. You know, the Bible says that Satan is a liar and a murderer. And one thing he will never do is give up. He will not give up. He will attack and attack and attack and attack. He is relentless. And that is what we are seeing today. You know, I've been a follower of Christ for almost 50 years now. And I've never seen the devil work as hard as he is working today on every single front. You know, someone once described uh, the Christian life as one long, hard, continuous fight. And I think that's true. It is one long, hard, continuous fight. Well, believe it or not, there is a bright spot to all of this because I know how the story ends because I've read the Bible. And if you've read the Bible, you know how the story ends. And, and that is the devil loses and we win. The devil loses and we win. So don't give up. No matter what, don't give up. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we began a new series here called Undefeated. And this series is about how you can thrive in a world in which the devil seems to have the upper hand. Now, last week, Pastor Greg uh, spoke about prayer, exhorted us to pray. And on Monday, we kicked off 21 days of fasting and prayer because prayer is one of the most powerful arsenals that we have in our tools as a child of God to fight uh, the devil. And, and that's at our disposal. Well, today I want to stay on this topic of prayer because we need to be clear about who we pray for and what we pray. And I think there's, there might be some confusion in that area. If we're going to be undefeated, we've got to be clear on, on this topic. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me, let me first pray, and then we'll unpack God's Word and see what it has to say. Well, Father, thank you so much for gathering us here together today. Lord, it is apparent to me that with all the things that are going on, that we are in a war, that we are in a battle, that we are in a fight um, for the very heart and soul of, of the people in this world. And God, as, uh, as it appears that the enemy has stepped it up, God, we need to step it up. And we can be undefeated because of the power of prayer. And I pray today that you would speak to us. That after this message is done, when we're over, when we've looked at your word, it'll be clear to us who we pray for and what things we ought to pray. So Father, reach down into our hearts right now. I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us and stir at us and change us, God, so that we can be people who are undefeated. So thank you, Father. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, on Sunday, June the 2nd, 2019, President Donald Trump uh, made an unplanned uh, visit or stop at the McLean Bible Church in Vienna, Virginia uh, to receive prayer. 
uh, Pastor David Platt was notified only a few minutes before the president arrived that he was coming. Uh, when the president got there, David Platt met him, spoke with him briefly, and then escorted him out onto the stage. And there, the pastor prayed for the president, and then, without giving a speech, without saying any words, the president left. Now, I want to ask you something. If that pastor was me, the pastor was me, and if President Trump showed up at our church and I prayed for him, how would you have reacted? How would you have reacted? Uh, would you have been thrilled that I prayed for him? Or would you have been upset that I prayed for him? When word got out that President Trump showed up at, unannounced at McLean Bible Church uh, and that David Platt prayed for him, the Trump supporters in his church were elated. They were thrilled, understandably elated that their pastor prayed for the president. But a lot of people in his church who didn't like Trump were disappointed, they were hurt, and they were even angry that their pastor prayed for the president. In fact, there was such a huge backlash uh, that, that Platt actually had to explain to his church why he prayed for the president. On Inauguration Day, a few days ago, I noticed that David Platt posted a prayer for President Biden and for Vice President Harris. And I read some of the posts, the, the comments to his prayer. There were more than 800 of them uh, when I read them. And I noticed that the ones that appreciated his prayer the most were the ones who voted for uh, Joe Biden. And then I also read quite a few digs at David Platt, which clearly, from reading it, you could tell, came from people who supported Trump. One man posted, and I'll put the entirety of his post up here for you, without his name, wrote this. Nope. There are some so evil you do not pray for them. You pray against them. Huge failure of spiritual discernment here, unquote. Referring to David Platt posting this prayer. You know, it seems that Platt can't do anything right when it comes to prayer. And all this uh, begs the question, who are we supposed to pray for? Who do we pray for? And what are we supposed to pray? Well, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to clear that up for you. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I also want to remind you, you can open up our app we have an, a South Bay Community Church app, and you can follow the, the, the message there. There's an outline, with some, uh, and all the verses are there for you. If you don't have the app, you can download it now. You can get it at the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. And just search for SBCC, and it'll pop right up. And our app is a great way for you to watch the messages all throughout the week. You can get information about our church. You can sign up for things. You can give. You can connect with us, all kinds of things, all right? Now, First Timothy... Uh, was a letter or an epistle that was written by the Apostle Paul to his disciple and friend, Timothy. You know, in fact, Paul considered Timothy his spiritual son. Timothy was much younger than Paul. He was, mo he was more on the timid side. And so he wrote this letter to kind of encourage him and to spur him on. And uh, I believe that when Paul, it is believed that when Paul wrote uh, this letter, 1 Timothy to Timothy, he was actually in Macedonia when he wrote the letter. Now, 
This is what the world looked like when Paul wrote 1 Timothy. You can see here on this map. This is, uh, and I put a circle around Macedonia. This is where he, it is believed that Paul was when he wrote this letter. But as you can see in that shaded area here, the entire world was dominated and controlled by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was a powerful empire, was uh, ruled at the time uh, by Emperor Nero. Nero was the fifth Roman Empire. Uh, There were uh, four before him. The first Roman Empire emperor was uh, Augustus, who reigned at the time of Christ, Emperor Caesar Augustus. Second one was Caesar Tiberius, who was the emperor at the time that Christ was crucified and then raised from the dead. The third one was Emperor Caligula. The fourth one was Emperor Claudius. And then the fifth one was Emperor Nero, who was alive at the time, or who was emperor at the time that Paul wrote 1 Timothy. Now, Nero uh, was the emperor of Rome between 54 and 68 AD. I'll put this up here for you, between 54 and 68 AD. Now, this is all important. I'm going somewhere with this, so you've got to pay attention, all right? And then it is believed that Paul wrote 1 Timothy between 62 and 66 AD, all right? Now, compare those years, 54 to 68 AD, 62 to 66 AD. You can see there's an overlap, right, which tells us that Paul wrote Timothy sometime while Nero was the emperor of Rome, all right? So hold on to that thought. Now, here's a bust of Nero which can be viewed at the Musee Capitolini, which is a museum in Rome. And here's what, I want you to, what else I want you to know about Nero. Okay, and this is interesting, and I think it's helpful in your understanding of what Paul wrote and why he wrote it. All right? After Nero's father died, when he was a young boy, his mother, Agrippina, Agrippina married her uncle, all right? So the niece married her uncle. Agrippina married her uncle, who happened to be Emperor Claudius. So she marries the emperor. After she married, Nero's mother married the emperor, Emperor Claudius, she began to pressure him and pressure him to name her son Nero to be his successor instead of his own, Claudius' own son, Britannicus. When Agrippina sensed that Claudius was not going to name Nero to be his successor, but in fact he was going to name his own son, Britannicus, to be his successor, Agrippina went ballistic and she killed him. She killed the emperor. She poisoned him to death. That made the way for Nero to become the emperor of Rome, which he did at the age of 17. Murder, murder was how Nero became the leader of the Roman Empire. A year later, Britannicus, in order to keep Britannicus from mounting a coup against Nero, Nero killed him. Britannicus was only 13 years old. A few years later, Nero got tired of hearing of of his mother trying to control him, so he killed her. And he also killed his first wife and his second wife. Nero was a cold-blooded murderer. That's what he was. And then, as you might recall, because I spoke about this not too long ago, in 64 AD, uh, Nero set 
fire to Rome, nearly burning the entire city down because he didn't like the way it looked. He wanted to rebuild it to his liking. So he set it on fire, and then he blamed Christians for starting the inferno. And that led to an empire-wide campaign of wiping out all the Christians in the Roman Empire by, first of all, capturing them, torturing them, and then murdering them by feeding them to wild animals and by burning them at the stake. That was the backdrop, all right? This was the backdrop for the writing of 1 Timothy. It was a backdrop of ruthlessness and corruption and murder and depravity at the highest levels of government, starting with Nero. All right, now, 1 Timothy chapter 1, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul gives us, gives Timothy some instructions on how to deal with false teachers. In chapter 2, which is what we're going to look at today, uh, Paul provides Timothy with instructions on how the church is to function. All right, let me read 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll just read the first verse, all right? Here's what Paul said to Timothy. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Okay, you can stop right there. All right, and in a nutshell, Paul told Timothy, these are, these are the instructions for the church. He's told him, you got to pray, right? Pray. The church needs to pray. And look at the verse again. You notice the verse begins with a very significant phrase. It begins with first of all, the first three words, first of all. Will you circle first of all? The reason why this is an important phrase is because it speaks to what really matters in the church. First of all, according to New Testament scholar Donald Guthrie, First, the phrase, first of all, relates what he says is, quote, not to primacy of time, as he, as he calls it, but to primacy of importance. That's what Donald Guthrie says. In other words, when Paul said, first of all, he didn't mean, he didn't mean first of all, let's pray. No, what he meant was, first, prayer is first of all, was what he meant. Prayer is first of all. In other words, prayer is what matters the most to the church. Prayer is the highest priority of the church. Prayer is the most important thing that the church can do. That's why he said first of all. So write this one down. Prayer is my highest priority. It is our highest priority. Second thing Paul said about prayer is that we need to pray for all people. Take a look at that again in verse 1. He needed to pray for all people. In fact, maybe at the end of the verse, circle all people. Circle all people. Now all people isn't a reference to all of the people in the whole wide world. That's not what this means, right? Paul wasn't saying, pray for every single person on planet Earth. That's not what he was saying, right? The Greek words for all people actually refers to variety or diversity. In other words, Paul was saying, pray for all kinds of people. Pray for all kinds of people. Now, my guess is most of you, most people pray for only those who orbit their world. Um, and that would be, for example, that would be your family. You pray for your family. It would be your friends. You pray for your friends. It, it might be people you go to school with. Maybe people you work with. You pray for them. It might be people you go to church with. Maybe people in your life group. Those are the people we usually pray for, people in our particular orbit. But Paul said that we are to pray for all kinds of people. In other words, our prayers ought to be rich with diversity. You know, the other day, 
I asked our, our five other pastors who they prayed for or who they have prayed for outside of their circle. And I got some interesting responses. Pastor James told me that he has regularly prayed for Mariano Rivera. He, when he was a star pitcher for the New York Yankees, he, and Rivera is, a, is a, an avowed Christian. And Pastor James told me that he used to pray from all time that he would, he would do well in his game, but he also prayed that he would be a strong witness for Christ in everything that he did. Pastor Dave told me that he, he has prayed regularly. He prayed regularly for Kobe Bryant. Pastor Dan told me, and this is really interesting, he told me that he used to pray for members of the Islamic terror group ISIS, that they would all come to know Jesus. Now that's, that's a fascinating prayer. It's amazing that he prayed for them. Pastor Greg told me that he frequently prayed for Eminem. And I said to him, why do you pray for candy? He says, no, not the candy. He says, the rapper, Eminem, the rapper. He said he prayed for Eminem, that he would, that he would come to know Christ. And then Pastor Caleb told me that he prayed often for the salvation of Kim Jong-il, who was the former dictator of North Korea and the father of Kim Jong-un, prayed for him. And then through the years, I have prayed for a kid named Justin Bieber, that he would come back to know Christ and that God would surround him with some godly people. So here's my question for you. How, who have you prayed for? Who have you prayed for outside of your regular orbit? Who are some of those people? If you're watching this message uh, live, you can go to the chat box right now and just put a name in. It would be interesting to see um, who, the, who are the different kinds of people you have prayed for. If your list, if the list of people that you pray for is not very diverse, I want to I challenge you to spice it up. All right, Spice it up and pray for all different kinds of people. And they don't have to be athletes, and they don't have to be celebrities, and they don't have to be politicians. I mean, you could pray for the barista at your, at, at your local Starbucks. You can pray for your neighbor. You can pray for the delivery person who brings your Amazon uh, packages. Uh, it, it may be somebody you know. It may be somebody you don't know. But pray for all kinds of people. You can write that one down as well. Now, in verse 2, Paul gets very specific about one group of people who, uh, who we need to pray for. And that would be our leaders. So I'm going to take it from verse 1 again, but we're going to look at verse 2, all right? Paul said, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving may be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. Okay, you can stop right there. He said, pray for kings and all who are in high positions. In other words, we are to pray for our leaders. Now, in our country, we don't have a king. We have a president. So we're to pray for the president. We're to pray for the vice president. We're to pray for members of Congress. We're to pray for our senators. We're to pray for our governor. We're to pray for our mayor. We're to pray for members of the county board of supervisors. We're to pray for members of the city council. We're to pray for all those in positions of high positions, which means you ought to even pray for your boss. You ought to pray for your coach. You ought to pray for the captain of your basketball team. You ought to pray for the leader of your life group. You can pray for your pastors, right? The admonition by Paul to pray for kings and those in high positions was truly, this was truly a remarkable, a remarkable statement considering who their leader was, uh, how he rose to power through murder, how, how he actually led 
killing Christians and, and his character. I mean, it's remarkable that he would say these things considering who their leader was. I mean, this verse would have made a whole lot more sense if Nero was a man of God. I mean, it's easy to pray for a man of God, but he wasn't. In every sense of the word, Nero was the face of, of villainy. He was the personification of evil. Evil. I mean, he didn't, he didn't become emperor uh, by legitimate means whatsoever. Yet Paul said, pray for kings and all those who are in high positions, including Nero. Pray for Nero. And why did Paul say that? Because he knew that God could do whatever he wants to do through any kind of leader. He could do whatever he wants because God is God. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. You see, God is so powerful. God is so great that he could do whatever he wants with any leader at any time. He can get them to do whatever he wants. He can do that for every president, every congressman, every senator, every governor, every mayor, he, every prime minister. He can get them to do whatever he wants because he is God. He can get them to do whatever he wishes. And that's why we need to pray for our leaders because of what God can do. Second reason why this is such a remarkable statement is because Paul didn't place any conditions on this exhortation to pray for our leaders. He didn't say, pray for the president as long as he didn't steal the election. Or pray for the president as long as he isn't a racist. Or pray for your governor as long as he will raise taxes on the rich. Or as long as he won't raise taxes at all. He didn't say, pray for your senator as long as he is or she is pro-choice. Or as long as he or she is pro-life. Or pray for your congressman as long as he or she isn't an atheist or a socialist. Pray for your mayor as long as he will or she will defund the police or he or she will not defund the police. Paul didn't place a single condition, not a single condition on this admonition to pray. He just said, pray for them. Just pray for them. So write this one down. We are to pray for our leaders regardless regardless of what they believe, regardless of what their character is like. That's what the scriptures say. Paul didn't lay down any conditions, laid down zero conditions. But we lay down conditions on who we want to pray for all the time. And you know why we do that? It's because we tend to look at our leaders through our Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent eyes. Or our progressive or liberal or conservative eyes or our moderate eyes. We, we, look at, we look at them through those kinds of eyes, our political eyes. Instead, we need to view the world through Jesus' eyes and through the lens of Scripture. And my understanding of the Bible tells me that we are to pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris, just as we prayed for President Trump and for Vice President Pence. And if any of them ever stopped by our church to receive prayer, we would welcome them with open arms and pray for them because that's what Christ's followers do. That's what we do. You know, nearly every weekend, Cheryl and I will jump in the car. We'll probably do it tomorrow uh, or Sunday or, or, or uh, this weekend. And we will, uh, we will 
uh, go on, a, we'll take the dogs with us and we'll go on, sometimes the girls, and we'll go on a little uh, short road trip around the city. We'll just drive around uh, just to get out of the house. And uh, sometimes we'll get out, if there's no one around, we'll get out and take a walk. Uh, and sometimes we'll get boba. And I want to urge you to do the same thing. You don't, have to, you don't have to stay cooped up at home, all right? You can stay safe as long as you stay in your car, as long as you don't hang out, you know, or not with a bunch of people. Um, and, and so I want to encourage you to do that instead of just staying home. Uh, take the kids. Just go for a drive somewhere. Um, and you can get out and still be safe. Recently, we drove through downtown Los Angeles. And it broke our hearts to literally see thousands and thousands of homeless people living on the streets. I mean, we, we could not even believe it. And it just went on for blocks and blocks and blocks. And then we drove to, to Hollywood and it just continued on there. I mean, it, it was just everywhere. Pastor Andy Bales, who, who helps run the, the Union Rescue Mission on Skid Row, said that what's happening in Los Angeles is, quote, the worst human catastrophe in America. He called it the worst human catastrophe in our country. Now, I don't know how it got so bad, and I don't know how it got to this point, but I do know from having worked for the president of the Los Angeles City Council for seven years where we tackled the homeless problem, I can tell you that, and I believe that decisions that politicians make that the decisions they make can either help solve a problem or they can create the problem and even make it worse. They can exacerbate the problem. As the axiom goes, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And, and the scriptures bear this out. Let me show you. When Paul told Timothy to pray for kings and for those in authority, here's what he told Timothy to pray. Take a look at verse 2 again. He said, we're to pray for kings and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're to pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. You can stop right there, all right? First, we pray for leaders that they may lead in such a way that the people who are under them can lead these peaceful and quiet lives. And the implication of this verse is that political leaders, our political leaders, have a direct bearing on whether or not we live peaceful and quiet lives. That's the implication. And no one understood that better than Paul because Christians who were living uh, lives at their time, at the time, they weren't living lives of peace and quiet under Nero. Instead, their lives were racked with turmoil and upheaval as Nero and his henchmen hunted down Christians and slaughtered them. So Paul understood this. And so Paul said to pray that our leaders would lead in such a way that people could live lives of peace and tranquility. Second, Paul said to pray that leaders would lead in such a way that we can live godly and dignified lives. That's at the end of the verse. Godly and dignified lives. And I think the, the real key here is the word godly. If you want to circle that word godly. The word godly here is the Greek word eusebeia. Eusebeia, and it refers to a true reverence for God. Godly means to have a true reverence for God. And I like the NLT translation of this verse. 
It says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. All right, so Paul said to pray for leaders, uh, that we were to pray for leaders that they might lead in such a way that godliness, godliness will be woven into the fabric of our society. That God would be exalted in society as opposed to being diminished in society. That God would take center stage in society instead of backstage. And again, Paul knew, understood what it was like to live in a world, in a godless society, uh, under a godless emperor. He knew what it was like. He knew what it was like to live in a society where there was, was, where there was zero religious freedom where Christians couldn't worship and Christians couldn't pray and Christians couldn't gather for church. And so Paul said to pray that leaders would lead in such a way that, that, that there would be godliness, that there would be spirituality in society. Paul said to pray. And, and I, I just can't help but note, Paul didn't tell Timothy. He didn't say, overthrow the government. He didn't say, resist, resist. That was the mantra throughout the Trump administration. He didn't tell them to take up arms and fight. He told them to pray, pray. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to pray. And we are not just to pray for our leaders, but we are pray for all kinds of people. And you may think, why bother? What's the use? It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter. Well, let me close with a story that I've shared with you before, but it may be new to some of you, and I think it, it, it fits really well here. You know, quite a number of years ago, there was a boy in our church who attended our uh, junior high school ministry, and he and his mom would drive all the way out from Orange County to attend our church. And uh, every Sunday on their way to and from church, uh, they would see the Goodyear blimp parked just north of the 405 freeway right there in Carson. And uh, it, here it is here. And one, one Sunday, Eric uh, asked his mom, Pat, who happened to be a, a school teacher, if he could ride the Goodyear blimp. Well, his mom told him, she said, no, Eric, you can't ride the Goodyear blimp. It's not like a ride at Disneyland. You have to know someone to ride the Goodyear blimp, and we don't know anyone who can get you on the Goodyear blimp. So no, Eric, you can't ride the Goodyear blimp. So forget it. That's what she told her son. And she slammed the door on Eric's dream. And uh, Eric wasn't going to have any of it. He was not dissuaded whatsoever. He said to his mom, Mom, I'm going to pray about it. And Pat said to him, Okay, Eric, you go ahead and do that. You just pray about it. And so he did. Well, about a week later, uh, Pat teaches in, um, in Huntington Beach. About a week later, one of Pat's students had an excuse to leave class early because he had some kind of an appointment. And so she assumed it was a doctor's appointment. And so when the mother showed up to pick up her son, she asked her, Pat asked her, says, well, is, is Tristan okay? And she said, oh, yeah, he's fine. He is so excited because today he is going to ride the Goodyear blimp. And, of course, when Pat heard that from Tristan's mom, her jaw fell to the floor. She had to pick it up. Well, it turned out 
that Tristan's grandfather's friend was the man who arranged for people to ride on the Goodyear blimp. And when Tristan's mom saw Pat's jaw fall to the ground, she asked her, are you okay? And she told her then, she went on to tell her about Eric's prayer to ride on the Goodyear blimp. Well, wouldn't you know it? God answered Eric's prayer. Because 10 days later, 10 days later, Pat and Eric found themselves soaring through the skies of Southern California on the Goodyear blimp. Here they are. Coincidence, you say? There's no such thing as coincidence. You see, your prayers matter. God hears your prayers, and your prayers can make a difference. He even hears the prayers of a 13-year-old boy who wanted to ride the Goodyear blimp. And that's why we pray. That's why we pray for all kinds of people. That's why we pray for our leaders. Because God hears our prayers and they can make a difference. And not only that, our prayers can help us during these times when we are under attack. It can help us to remain undefeated. So church, keep praying. We're still in our 21 days of fasting and prayer. Keep praying because God will hear your prayers. Well, let's close our time. And as we do, I want to pray for our new president and vice president that God would help them to bring about godliness throughout this land. Okay, let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the admonition of Scripture. It is very clear to us who we are to pray for and what we are to pray. Father, in regards to our prayers for all people, Father, we pray, make us a praying church and and do a work in us that we wouldn't simply pray for those people who are in our orbit, but that we would pray for all kinds of people, people we don't even know, because our prayers really can make a difference, and especially during these 21 days when our real focus is on prayer. Father, bring to mind all those people that we can pray for, not just in our church, but even those outside of our church. And Father, we right now want to pray for our leaders. Father, we thank you for President Biden and for President and Vice President um, Harris. We thank you for, for the service rendered by President Trump and Vice President Pence. And we ask as they leave office that you would bless their lives and draw them close to you. And Father, we pray the same thing for our new president and vice president and for members of Congress as well. Father, we ask that you would help them to rule and to lead our country with righteousness, with godliness. We ask, God, that you would give them wisdom beyond their years to make decisions based not on politics, not based on what's good for them, but based on what is true, what is right, what is righteous. And we pray that their leadership would bring about in our country peace and quiet. I pray that our streets, our homes, our communities would be peaceful and quiet. We pray that our nation around the world would experience peace and quiet. And we pray that you would help them to rule with godliness. So 
that we can worship you in freedom and we can grow to love you more and more and more people will come to know you. So God, we lift them up. We ask God for your special hand of protection to be upon them, that you would bless their health, that you would bless their families, and you would bless their administration. So Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to pray for them. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are God and these prayers matter and you hear our prayers. Father, make us a praying church and help us to pray for all kinds of people. Thank you, Father. And we lift all these things up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.